Are we ready? So good morning, everyone. Can everyone hear me all right? Okay. <clears throat> so we'll begin a first full day of our retreat with a short guided meditation, after which we'll break up for either interviews with Bhante Gunaratana, um, further instructions for beginners with Bhante Mangala, or continuing to practice throughout the rest of the morning till lunch. So just to get us started, of course, the first thing to think about is how we are um, seated or sitting. <coughs> Optimally, you want to, well, you can either be in a chair or sitting in your knees or sitting <coughs> cross-legged, whatever is most comfortable for you. This isn't a contest to see who can sit in a full lotus for the longest amount of time. It's a contest of who can purify their minds. So whatever is comfortable for you, but the important thing is to try and have your body upright 
not in a rigid, tense kind of way as though you're sitting on the edge of your seat, but rather in a relaxed and almost confident kind of way. That's the way I've always thought about it, of standing, of being confidently straight. So whatever position allows you to do that. If you're having trouble maintaining that throughout your practice, it's recommended to try and get a higher cushion for your, your backside. That'll help you keep your um, spine straighter for a longer period. And of course, if you find yourself having extreme pain in your knees or your back, or you have previous injuries, please don't hesitate to get up and do walking or standing meditation or use a chair in the back. Any of those is fine to do. So there are, of course, many different kinds of meditation, even within mindfulness practice, even within the four satipatthanas, the four establishments of mindfulness, there's four general categories, mindfulness of body, mindfulness of feelings, mindfulness of the mind, and mindfulness of phenomena. <coughs> so to start off on the first day, I'll be guiding you in practicing mindfulness of the body. If you're an experienced meditator and you have other things that you use, such as metta practice or something like that, you know, feel free to use those. Obviously, I couldn't enforce meditation techniques on you even if I wanted to. That would require me to read your mind, which I cannot do. But anyway, this is the instruction that I'll give. So just simply begin. You can keep your eyes open, closed, whatever is most comfortable and easy for you. Just start off by taking in a few deep breaths. It's important when we first start our practice session, <coughs> especially in the beginning of a, something like this, a retreat, to evaluate the reasons why we're even doing this in the first place, to think about our motivations, to think about our intentions of meditation practice, basically to think of why it is that we sacrificed these uh, four or five days where we could be doing so many other different things and decided to spend a great deal of our time just sitting and walking very quietly and slowly. So obviously these reasons may vary, but overall the theme is that we are seeking to remove dukkha from ourselves. And so it's all that much more apt that we reflect and recollect those reasons in this retreat on the Four Noble Truths that all just so happen to also deal with dukkha in various ways. So you can mindfully think about that for a minute or two. Think about why you're doing this and set forth a determination for this uh, sitting practice. You can do anything that's within your grasp. Even the most simple things such as being aware of the mind and coming back as soon as possible when the mind gets distracted, or otherwise just doing your best to arouse and maintain mindfulness. So whatever determination, whatever aspiration that comes to mind, just reflect on that for a minute or so, and let it um, nourish 
your ability to put forth effort to put forth effort to strive throughout any time you're practicing, if you find your mind wandering very often and generally not interested in the practice, then you can come back to this reflection and think about it for a little while to reinvigorate the mind's stamina. Otherwise, if we start forgetting about why we're doing this, it'll be all that much easier for the mind to wander off to other distracting things, pleasures of the senses, thinking about the past, thinking about the future in unskillful ways. So that's not any good for us. We don't want to do that and we don't want to squander our time here that we have this opportunity that we don't get very often to practice intensely. So then to begin, I just want you to bring to the forefront of your attention how your body is positioned you don't have to look at any particular part of your body, but rather just be aware of how the body is positioned, the nature by which it's seated in a chair on your knees, cross-legged. And just pay attention to the knowledge of how your body is positioned. This is something that's quite natural in your experience. If I ask you how your body's positioned, you can immediately and quickly answer because you already are aware at some level of what, how it is. But first off, just bring, try and attend to that. Bring it to the forefront of your awareness.
we use the awareness of our bodily posture as an anchor in our practice. (coughs) That is to say, if the mind wanders away from the intended object, we can easily bring it back to reflecting on how the body is positioned. And this also fulfills the aspect of satipatthana with the knowledge there is a body to the extent necessary for mindfulness and knowledge. When we are aware of the bodily posture, we're inherently aware also that there is this body, that it's present. But we can also take this a step further and look at what the Buddha calls the kaya sankara, the bodily condition, the bodily determination, and that's breathing specifically in-breathing and out-breathing. The body and the breath are inextricably connected. There is no breath without the body. There is no body without the breath. And what's further, each of them conditions our experience of the other. So the body state can condition how we experience the breath, whether it's shallow or deep, long, short, comfortable, uncomfortable. And likewise, the breath can do the same thing with our experience of the body, whether it's heavy or light, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, and so on. There's this two-way dependence of the body and the breath. And so we can begin first off by continuing to keep the knowledge that there is this body seated in the back of our minds We don't want to pay direct attention to it, but we also don't want to forget that the body is there. So that way we can look at both the breath and the body and see how they condition each other, how they prop each other up. The Buddha describes this as though there were two sticks propping each other up. You see both sticks and you can clearly see that if you get rid of one, you'll get rid of the other as well. They rise and fall together. So then, become aware of the breathing. You don't have to focus on any one particular point. If that's easier for you, you can. But don't get caught up specifically in that point, but rather in the experience of breathing. The easiest way to do this is generally just looking at the qualities of the breathing, whether it's long, short, deep, shallow, etc. And further, (coughs) keep in mind how those differing conditions of the breath also affect your experience of the body. And you'll come to see how deeply connected they are, how they condition one another.
one part of our goal in this practice and the final part of mindfulness of breathing with regards to the body is called calming the bodily determination. Now some people interpret this as an active process, intentionally attempting to calm down the breath. Others interpret it as more passive, that it happens naturally as one continues to establish mindfulness of the breathing, that that mindfulness has a soothing and calming effect in and of itself. I frankly haven't made a solid decision on that. So I encourage you to experiment. Does establishing mindfulness calm your body down? Or do you find yourself still struggling? If that's the case, maybe try giving yourself a determination to calm the breath, hence calm the body. Or you could even try actively manipulating the breathing It's one thing to listen to a teacher about meditation instructions. <coughs> it's another thing entirely to test them out for yourself and see what is leading you onwards. Bear in mind, of course, that whatever calm we get is for the sake of seeing more clearly, not so we can fall asleep or chill out and relax. The calmer we are, the more clearly we can see things because the mind's not so agitated. It can focus more intently on whatever situation has arisen, whatever phenomena has arisen. That's the purpose of samatha. And that's one of the advantages of anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing. That oftentimes very easy to have samatha mixed with vipassana in anapanasati, intertwined and connected together. Because the breath is a calm, often a calming thing. And at the same time, everything we need in regards to analyzing experience is also within the breath. This is another strategy that we can do. <clears throat> if we decide that we've calmed the breath and body sufficiently, or we find ourselves getting a little bored, then we can start looking what's around the breath. I don't mean that spatially, but more along the lines of what else is happening. In any experience of the breath or the body, the five aggregates are present. So in the breathing, for example, there's obviously the form of the breathing, the air element entering and exiting, the form of the body itself that enables breathing, the lungs and so on. There's also feeling. Is the breath pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? Is the experience of the body that is breathing pleasant, unpleasant, neutral? What perceptions are there? Perceptions of heat and cold, sharp and soft, hard and not hard. And likewise, all throughout the body, there are various perceptions, sharpness, tension, comfort, 
all these kinds of adjectives. There are also intentions. If you really want to test this out, you can try stopping breathing and you'll suddenly see a very strongly rising, rising intention of breathing in or breathing out. That intention is always there whenever we're breathing. And that way, breathing is an action in and of itself. We can likewise see any kind of intentions in the body, presented in the body, moving in certain ways, going here, going there, do this, do that. These things are possibilities in our experience. And finally, of course, there's consciousness in that all these other four aggregates are cognized. They're presented to us. So in the experience of breathing with the body, there's all the five aggregates. And it's all these five aggregates that are, the, that are what are clung to. And when we cling to them, there is dukkha, there is suffering. And so the goal of our meditation is to understand these things to understand that they don't arise on their own, that they are supported and propped up by other things. And mindfulness of breathing can lead us to understanding all these things because they're all there. We don't have to stop breathing to go find them. Any experience of the breathing has all five of these things and these are the tools of our insight. So now at this time, if you've signed up for an interview with Bhante Gunaratana,
you can go to the um, dining hall area. Um, he's doing one-on-one -on -one interviews, so the first person on the list can go. Everyone else can, you know, meditate and practice in the dining hall near the fireplace, just somewhere where you know you can see when it's your turn. Anyone who needs further instruction on the base, absolute basics of meditation or just wants any kind of further instruction from a different viewpoint, you can meet Bhante Mangala in the library. <coughs> and everyone else, we can continue practicing here until the lunch gong rings at uh, 10.45. So please uh, proceed 